0: My name is Linda Williams, and this is Reality Skimming. Welcome back. And now we're on Chapter 7, The Silver Box. We're back on Gillian now, and checking in on Renar, who we last saw in DeAnder's company. DeAnder, Prince of Golden Hearth, was taking Renar to meet Daimon. The Liege of Monatum, or Greenheart, and the last time we saw him, he had witnessed a duel in which a golden prince called Dandy died before his eyes, on, in circumstances that shocked him, given his Rician background. Daimon, Liege of Monatum, strode into his library to collect his sword from beside the chair where he had sat reading the night before, and stopped at the sight of his bonded gore pole, Cyrillus. She was standing stiff-backed in front of his reading chair, holding his sword in her blue-veined hands, as if she did not mean to relinquish it to him. Her expression said she did not approve of his exercising relish recklessness, as if he lacked the intellect to know better. Cyrillus had been his guide and advisor for more years than he ought by his youthful appearance, to be able to remember. Daimon was 65 and looked timeless. Cyrillus was nearly 80 and growing frail, although he did not notice any infirmity. She was too much of a fixture. I am only going to meet with him, Cyrillus, Daimon told her impatiently. He held out his hand for the sword, but he would not command her, not over something so trivial. Prince de Ander is trouble," she warned him. "Yes," Daimon said briskly. "I think we can agree he is trouble." Daimon's niece Tessitat, came in carrying his traveling cloak and wearing her own. She was flanked by her younger brother Kertat in the midst of a petulant argument. "But why can't I come?" Kertat demanded, clutching the hilt of his sword. Let me think, said his sister, might it have something to do with a certain very demish stunt you pulled the last time you visited Den Eva's, throwing a fit over Vretla seeing Vaughn? I was not jealous, he exploded. Just suicidal, Tessitat suggested with a grin, or did you think being pregnant would slow Vretla down? Enough, Diamond terminated the banter. He took his sword out of his Gorrelpel's hands and strapped it on with practiced movements. But I want to meet Deander, Kertat persisted. He's won more duels than your liege uncle has made his decision, Cyrillus silenced him. Our escort is waiting, said Tessatat, handing Daimon his green velvet traveling cloak with its wide admiral's collar. They turned left, out of the library, onto Family Hall, and right down the throat, a series of connecting rooms to the dining hall. Here, a spiral staircase wound up out of Green Hearth House Monatom's ancestral residence on Gillian. Three Monaties errants joined them at the top, and together they made good time across the plaza, where businesses thrived above the residences of the Empire's reigning oligarchy. It was common to travel in fives, the size of a rail fighter's strike force called a hand, and Daimon commanded their formation from the center, just as a hand leader would. As a consequence, he was not the first to reach the Avis Way, a wide boulevard running from the base of the docks, below the citadel, to West Alcove, where Eva's was situated. Daimon came upon his lead-errant, fraternizing with a stocky woman, standing in front of a pair of black cars marked with rearing red dragons. The woman was dressed like a Sevilleite, which meant she wore a sword and house insignia. "'Sess Nursel Daimon said, discomforted. "'Hiring a car from Sess was Cyrillus's idea,' Tessat explained to Daimon." She says you should be patronizing your McCants' garage more regularly, especially since Cess is a birth rank inferior. It's expected, you know. Diamond sighed, the beginning of a headache settling between his brows. Cess Nursel was his only acknowledged McCants on Gillian. Of course, they ought to interact more often. Diamond got into the front of the first car. Cess jumped in the driver's seat opposite him, headed off before any of Diamond's people could join them. They would come in the second car. "'I haven't seen you for a while,' Sass said. "'Things busy on Fountain Court?' "'Yes,' he said, making a conscious effort to relax. "'How long has it been?' Six months,' she said, casting a crinkle-eyed smile at him. She was a robust woman, with a wide, honest face, who had been grounded from her fleet career." by an old wound taken in a duel. Cess was a constant reminder of how nobleborns, like Daimon's well-loved niece Tessitat, did not heal completely in the manner of highborns, such as himself. An engineer by instinct and training, Cess now ran a fleet of rental cars on Gillian. There was always a wholesome residue of grease on her hands, and her body smelled of hot metal. Cess dropped speed as they cruised through a dark stretch where the glow poles lighting the route had been stolen or burned out for over a month. You would think that with a Demish Ava, we could at least expect the Ava's way to be kept in good repair, Cess pointed out Delm's neglect. The palace staff are not getting the support they need, Daimon said. I expect not, she agreed with disgust. It's expensive turning rooms into demoran gardens, Not hard to understand why my own liege spends his time elsewhere. Daimon barely refrained from arguing the company his friend Liege Nursel kept these days was even worse. Instead, he said, any ava is better than none. Cess switched subjects, talking about fencing matches she had seen since they last talked, which made for less politically stressful conversation. I gather you were hosting a meeting between the silver and golden demish. Seth said, when they had parked at the base of the steps leading to Eva's. Be careful. You know what they say about old demish quarrels—that they're as fatal as new relish ones. Daimon recalled the adage. Achrel then," said Seth. But let me know if you need any backup. My garage isn't far, and I've some handy swords employed there. She grinned. It would be something if you crossed swords with Prince Deander. Ander. Diamond thought, would be horrified. I'll leave you an extra car, so you can send for me if it gets exciting, Sass offered. If it doesn't, she grinned at him. Maybe we can make some excitement of our own. You could come inspect the envoy ship I'm refitting at the garage. I could use some advice about the nerve cloth. Possibly, said Daimon. He had the perfect excuse to avoid her. He had been off Fernie for months due to an allergic reaction, which was why he had been seeing only Eva. Courtesans were sterile, but an Ursalian noble-born was another matter. Cess would like nothing more than to get pregnant by him, and if she did, a lifetime subterfuge would be overthrown, for Daimon had claimed all his life that he was naturally infertile. That was why his nephew, Kertat, had stood in for him with Fretla. It was a serious eccentricity, given how desperately he needed a high born heir to ensure Greenhearth's place on Fountain Court, but he could never have explained the reason for his subterfuge to Cess Nursel. No one alive knew the truth, except Cyrillus. At Eva's, Daimon was announced to an empty room, but he wasn't displeased. He had planned to be early. Dan Eva's was dressed up for the occasion. Greenery stood in pots between statues on loan from Daimon's own collection. Bowls of flower petals lightened the air with subtle perfume. And the patron's floor had been cleared of everything except one glass-topped table with a ringside view of the dance floor where Eva and Vaughn would perform. The thought of Vaughn made Daimon scowl but he had to admit Vaughn was good. It would take something spectacular to distract the Demish from their long-standing quarrel. Eva came to join them dressed in a dancer's sheath of green and brown. My colors, Daimon realized, and wondered why her choice made him feel uncomfortable. You are early, Daimon, she greeted her illustrious patron, speaking up five levels of grammar. She gestured toward the glass table where they were to be seated. We settled on silver-demish chamber music. I decided that was safer than offending de Ander with an inferior performance of a golden score. Daimon nodded, approving her decision. Golden-demish music, like all of their fine art, was formidable. Eva remained standing as Daimon and Tessitat seated themselves at the table. I've had Trissian wine poured, she explained, gesturing to the glass horns seated in ornate silver bases. A politically neutral choice, since it's relish in origin, but acceptable nearly everywhere. You've done an excellent job, Diamond assured her. Eva deflected the compliment. Your herald was extremely helpful. Where is Vaughn? Tessitat asked, looking around. I hoped he might do his demish adaptation of McCanston's quarrel he did it for the Princess Lige of Huse's last party, and even the Relish, who only came to be offended, tried to book him afterwards. Don't tell me Vaughn's engaged elsewhere. No. Eva settled her hand on her throat in a nervous gesture. I'm afraid, she said, Vaughn's disappeared. Disappeared? exclaimed Tassitat and frowned. Please, tell me it wasn't Kertat's doing. "'Oh, no,' Eva said quickly, lowering her hand from her neck. "'It's probably one of his regulars. "'There are one or two Demish ladies who can get a bit possessive,' (laughs) she laughed. "'Are you worried?' Daimon asked. "'Eva never dissembled to him, not when he asked her point-blank. "'He was not sure why, since he had witnessed her doing it expertly with Demish clients.' She let the truth escape her like a burden she was glad to be rid of. Yes, I'm worried, she admitted, but it isn't the first problem I've had with him. She mustered a professional smile. He took it into his head once to hide a pregnant novice who was always getting into trouble. He was gone for a day that time and came back too battered to work for a week later. I will have Cyrillus look into what's become of him. Daimon offered. Eva shook her head. Having a corral pull inquiring might be very bad for business, especially if it should turn out to be a Demish lady who is detaining Vaughn. Detaining? Daimon asked acidly. It sounded to him more like a simple case of kidnapping. But the Demish were idiotically set on believing sexual exploitation could only work in one direction. "'Very well,' he said, loath to injure Eva's interests. "'But I will at least assure myself that neither red nor green hearths are responsible,' by which he meant Vretla or Kirtat. "'He could see this was what Eva had wanted. "'Thank you,' she said, and went on to explain "'Vaughn's understudy would be performing McCanston's quarrel with her. "'Will you want anything before your guests arrive?' Eva concluded. Just the wine, Diamond assured her. Eva backed up a few steps before turning to walk away. Poor woman, Tessitat clucked, speaking in English instead of Gilak. I bet she's worried it would be a blow to lose her protege so near to her retirement. Eva flinched noticeably, recovered, and bent down as if to adjust her dancing shoes. Diamond was intrigued by her reaction. Did she understand English? Vaughn was reputed to know the dead language, now used only by Greenhearth's ruling family. But Daimon had never taken the claim seriously. Courtesans like Vaughn pretended all manner of nonsense to entertain their Demish clients. Why should Eva retire? Daimon asked his niece in English while he watched the den mother's back for further proof of comprehension. She is getting old, Tessitott paused. Haven't you noticed? Daimon had not particularly, but he said, Of course. Eva straightened and resumed her walk toward one of the den's spokes radiating outward from the patron's floor. Most retirees end up doing laundry and scrubbing floors, Tessitat continued. That must be difficult to contemplate after running a place like this one. Eva's footsteps faltered. Daimon hesitated for a moment, then called to her. Eva! Eva turned around. He watched her face repair itself as she crossed to within a few paces of him. Yes, Daimon? She exercised her right to use his use name with a thick and emotional hesitance. It embarrassed him to see her vulnerable. It was the competent administrator he admired. Her dancer's confidence. Her skill at the keys of a piano. Tessetat tells me you may soon retire,' he explained, "'as if he had not noticed she had understood the conversation. "'I see,' she said, and paused. "'Do you think I should?' "'As an active courtesan, possibly, "'but my Gorarelpul Cyrillis is over seventy, "'and she is still competent. "'It does not seem obvious, therefore, "'that aging should reduce a commoner's status.' You could manage the den for Vaughn you show no sign of failing faculties in any please she said a little sharply and smiled again i understand you well enough be content you have promised nothing that you have not honored he was sure he had offended her somehow it struck him there was a great deal he didn't understand about being a commoner eva he began the entrance door boomed open behind him, and Daimon spun around. Prince Deander of Golden Hearth strode onto the patron's floor shining like a rogue sun. He was as robust as his Husian father, with his Demoran mother's golden hair and sky pale blue eyes. In his full gold lined cloak and wearing his jewelled sword, Deander overpowered everything else visual in the room. But it wasn't De Ander himself who was the surprise. It was the people he had brought with him. One of them was a scruffy-looking woman in a well-worn flight jacket, and the other was still completely covered. An assassin with a concealed power weapon? Daimon wondered. No, I distrust De Ander's wisdom, not his honor. A pair of Eva's servants took de Ander's cloak, which contained enough cloth of gold to require both of them to carry it. The scruffy woman refused to surrender her flight jacket, and de Ander shooed the servants away from the mysterious cloaked enigma. Tessitat violated the usual protocol of leaving introductions to the highest Sevelite present, which in this case would have been de Ander. "'My liege uncle Daimon,' she introduced Daimon as he came to join them. "'Daimon, you know royal blood. That is Prince Deander, she corrected herself, allowing for Demish usage. "'I don't believe you have met Anders McCannst?' Tessitath introduced the woman. "'This is the midlord, Perry Dar. "'Gods,' Daimon thought.' realizing why Tessitat was being so forceful about her introductions. She wanted to be sure he knew he was in the company of one of the pivotal bones of contention between the silver and golden Demish. Perhaps to Ander plan to surrender Perry to Hughes as a peace offering? That would be practical, but it didn't ring true. Perry Dar returned Diamond's stare with no sign of trepidation, just cynicism. Her eyes were the azure of the blue demish, but her hair was black, declaring her a mongrel with some frellish blood in her. She wore a sword like she was used to it, but it was easy enough to wear one. What counted was whether she would live up to the code of limited warfare a sword represented. Peridar's purple alliance of rebels and misfits were notorious for violating the constraints of Okulrel. I have heard of you, of course, Diamond told Perry Dar, speaking down exactly as their birth ranks entitled him to. He may not trust her, but he would not stoop to exaggeration the way a demish courtier might have on the strength of her lack of court status. Perry answered gruffly, Nothing good, I'm sure. Her own address granted him equality with Deander, which was mildly flattering, but not uncommon when dealing with a fountain court liege, although in this case Daimon found it embarrassing. Deander promptly made things worse by likewise granting him honorary peerage. "'I have told Perry how the Vrelish live up to their honor. he flattered Daimon with his pronouns. "'I have told her how you, in particular, are a follower of Amaron and do not judge her by the foulness of the liege she was forced to overthrow.' I, Daimon began to answer De Ander in peerage, but decided the golden's condescension was apt to come with strings attached. He addressed himself to Perry instead, accepting her flattering choice of address in the first sentence and dropping it thereafter, which was courtly idiom for thanks, but no thanks. Actually, I did consider your case at the time, he told Perry. Seriously enough? To research it, for my fellow liege lieges, in fact. Research it? she asked, suspicious. Daimon wished he hadn't used a word so fraught with evil scientific implications. I um, looked into your mutiny, he clarified. After Deander absolved you, of course, before then it was strictly a Demish matter. She grew brittle. Of course. We supported Deander's judgment, Daimon reminded her to get past the mention of research. You were justified in turning on a dishonorable liege. Deander beamed triumphant. But we were of two minds regarding Deander's generosity in child gifting to you so you could lawfully retain what you took, Daimon continued. Who objected? Perry asked. Liege Nursel? No, I did, said Daimon, and looked straight at de Ander. As a relish solution to a Demish problem, it was politically explosive and untenable. Perry surprised him with a hearty laugh. There are days that, oh, your grace, she covered her social backwardness with a phony cough, uh, when I agree with you on that score. Fine then, de Ander told Perry with a touch of pique. If you don't want my gift child, I'll take her back. The child in question was now 25 years old and a pillar of Perry's operations in Reach. Perry swatted DeAnder on the shoulder with the back of her hand. Daimon lifted a thin, courtly eyebrow. Perry realized her mistake the next moment and colored while DeAnder's light blue eyes laughed at her discomfiture. Are they still, McCanston? Daimon wondered. It might explain why Deander chose to bring Perry to court. On the other hand, Deander was now married to a princess of the Demoran First Circle. Demish marriage was one thing in theory and another in practice, of course, with most of the hypocrisy on the male side. Daimon gave up. Yeah. It made his head hurt trying to figure out Demish sexuality. Whether they were still lovers or not, he would not know what weight to put on its significance. Perhaps Daimon addressed Deander in a frigid tone, as we failed to warn Prince Hughes to expect a surprise as unpleasant to him as Perry Dar, we might settle your entourage in a guest room, out of sight, before he shows up. Perry opened her mouth to comment, but Deander cut her off. I had hoped we might conclude our business before Silver Hearth descends at the appointed hour, de Ander said, persisting in peerage. Then we will have spoken, but you can still maintain to Hughes, that there was no conspiracy involved. I do not play games with my honour, Daimon told de Ander, declining the peerage address with finality. Prince Hughes is my ally, only to uphold a corrupt Ava, Deander insisted, and resist the stale threat of a Nessac war. Stale, Daimon flared, and had to rein back his temper. Besides, Deander made a tangible effort to sound worldly wise, the Nursalians can be trusted to contain the Nessacs. Unless Hankst joins them, Daimon thought sourly. But he resisted this growing fear too much to share it with Deander. Hanks, leash of nursel, was still a man Daimon greatly admired. You asked to meet me in the name of Amaron, Daimon reminded de Ander. I have agreed, but I told you I would do so only if Prince Huse was also present. We will, therefore, wait to hear whatever... De Ander reached out and yanked back the cloaked figure's hood. The face revealed was a young man's, attractive in the color of tea with milk in it. Daimon was speechless. I bring you proof. The Rishans are in killing reach again, proclaimed Ander. We raided a station called Trinket Ring, where Rishan artifacts have been showing up, and we found, instead, a Rishan. Daimon caught the Rishan by his wrist. The brown-skinned man blinked at him with large, liquid eyes. He was well-made with intelligent eyes and seemed remarkably unalarmed. Daimon turned the hand over to reveal the lighter palm. He rubbed the skin with the thumb. It felt supple and warm. A thin thrill spread up his arm. Abruptly, Daimon released the brown hand. A he said, not sure how he felt about it. There was a second one called Thomas volunteered to Ander, but he was lost when Delm's men attacked our warehouse. I heard about the raid, said Daimon. Bluehearth claims it was to confiscate an Ocalany weapon.' "'Thomas gave them the excuse,' D'Ander protested. "'And I have already paid for it dearly on the plaza. "'Your golden companion, Prince Arand,' recalled Daimon. Deander's eyes filled up at the mention of his fallen comrade. "'It was a demoran failing, this too tangible exhibition of emotions.' Daimon felt driven to extend condolences. Prince Arand fought with honor and will soon be reborn. It was scarcely a weapon. Dander's eyebrows thickened, mouth squaring in a typically Demish glower. Just a light flash. Thomas was space-drunk. Or just Rishan, Daimon remarked. The Rishans of Amaran's time had no honor. His attention returned to the brown man who watched and listened avidly. Some of them must have had honor. Deander objected with vehemence. Why else would Amaron have helped them? You cannot judge all regions by one overflown madman. Daimon felt his temper warm. I judge them by the dust-strewn space lanes in killing reach that still claim victims. By the disease they spread, on purpose, through misuse of science. By worlds forever spoiled for habitation, and Sovellite bloodlines extinguished, which means the death of souls. All this, too, is in the Amaron biography. Or haven't you actually read it? It was two hundred years ago, Deander insisted stubbornly. You think they have changed? Why not? cried Deander. We have. Look what we have on the throne instead of Amaron. Diamond's teeth locked. He looked away to contemplate the reciun. He had the body of a Monitees archive librarian who turned pages for exercise, and he looked as if getting this far had been an unpleasant experience, but there was no mistaking his interest in what was going on. He is studying me, Thymon thought, astonished. The Rishan chose that moment to speak up. My name, he said in English, is Renar. I am an emissary to your people from my own. He paused. Are you Liege Monitum, and can you understand this language? Daimon felt as strange as if he had walked into the stables at his home estate on Monitum and been addressed by a cat, a creature long since vanished in the empire, which had, at the best of times, never talked. I understand English, of course, Daimon reacted to the simple absurdity of anything else for someone intent on a scholarly career as he had been before his predecessor's unexpected death. My family keeps records in English, he paused. Renar, you were called. Nothing more? We abjure titles, Renar answered. You may think you know otherwise if you kept records from the killing war, but a great deal has changed on our side. What is he saying? Deander asked in Gilak. Daimon considered lying to him. But Deander had the demish knack of picking up languages. There was no way to be certain how much he already understood. Tessitat will translate for you, said Daimon, adding a hand gesture for her niece to keep it basic. Tessitat displaced Perry at Deander's side. The Rishan said his people have changed since first contact, she summarized. There, you see, Deander leapt to conclusions. I told you. Renard shed his cloak, which was making him sweat, and kicked it away from him on the floor. He had a good face, once the shock of his brown skin wore off, even features with a wide, high forehead and quiet mouth. His hair looked touchable. "'I'm glad to meet someone I can converse with, Lishmonitum. Renard announced. "'I regret I cannot speak your native tongue.' "'It would be impossible to speak to you in Gilak,' answered Daimon. I would not know how to shape my pronouns. Pronouns, the Rishan said, with piqued interest. What makes Gilak pronouns so difficult? Daimon hesitated, but could find no objection to explaining something so commonly understood. Pronouns reflect both who you are and to whom you are referring. For example, the English word you would translate as br'e, if I was speaking down, and "bri." if I was speaking up. Bre is the Paul form, and Brie is the rel one, at least in common gender, across most Vrelish dialects. Do you understand? A little, Renard answered, more than before, and this is true of all pronouns? Daimon nodded, adding, it can be contentious for plurals. Renard looked impressed, and just a bit excited. A scholar, Daimon thought, with surprise and pleasure. He had not considered himself one since he assumed his title, but history had been the passion of his youth. You said it would be impossible to address me in Gilak, Renard recalled. Why? What is your birth rank? Daimon asked. Renard thought about it a moment. I am a prominent citizen where I come from, he said slowly, selected for this work because of my exceptional accomplishments. Daimon nodded. Not all Rishans speak English, he acknowledged. Nor all Gilaks, answered Renard. I've been put in my place, Renard thought, and very delicately. It pleased him somehow. You should know, Daimon told the Rishan, that Prince Hughes, the admiral of the largest space fleet in Sevildom, will be arriving soon. He will want to enforce the Americ Treaty we signed with your ancestors after the killing war. Renard said... I am not aware of the terms of this treaty. How is that possible? asked Daimon. The space-faring culture your people fought 200 years ago collapsed, Renard explained. Our record of first contact is extremely poor. I see. If true, Daimon found it exceedingly inconvenient. The treaty, he told the young Rishan, entitles either side to execute trespassers. That explains how we lost contact, answered Renard. It was a moment before Daimon was sure the comment was meant to be sardonic. Then he felt trapped. Curse Earth's bored and vengeful gods, he thought. I like this region. And this treaty, Renard asked, on your side, is it still in force? Of course, said Daimon. Why not? There are those who can recall it being signed, most of the Mahusian princesses, who have the most tenacious memories of all. Renard looked confused by this assertion, as if he thought his English was failing him. Mm. Who are you? Daimon thought at Renard, so intensely he almost said it aloud. Physically he was commoner, but Amaron had accepted a few Russians as his equals for diplomatic purposes. I will not let Hughes kill him, Deander insisted belatedly, reacting to Tessitat's translation. And how would you prevent it? Daimon snapped at him in Gilak. Deander cleared his jewelled sword. Daimon astonished himself, and frightened Tessitat by clearing his own sword and setting it athwart the golden champions. I will not let you duel Huse over a Rishian," Daimon said, his teeth gritted, lips pulled back. The gesture had more effect than it should have. By Daimon's own calculus, de Ander was better than he was, and had certainly got in more practice of late on a challenge floor. But de Ander drew back, chagrined, lowering his famous jeweled sword. "'You would cross swords with me?' Huse?" he asked, crestfallen. But de Ander shook his head. "'I could not kill you. We are oath-brothers of Amaron.' "'It remains to be seen who would kill whom,' Tessitat told the golden champion, "'differencing her pronouns to suggest a touch of insult. "'Let them calm down,' Perry advised Tessitat. "'In cold blood, Deander would never harm your uncle or any member of the ruling house of Monatum, "'because of your connection with Amaron.' "'Gods!' Daimon exclaimed, despising to be patronized "'and mastered his temper sufficiently to sheath his sword.' It went into its place with a bang that vibrated through his hand. De Ander's belief in Amaron was self-styled aggrandizement. He couldn't even read English, which meant he had read the Amaron biography in translation and very likely one concocted by a golden Demish poet who dwelt on the relationship between Amaron and the captive woman he had learned about recents from to the exclusion of all political motivations and sheer common sense. Amaron meant to reestablish contact with the regions, De Deander insisted, sheathing his own sword and taking a step toward Daimon. You do not know he did, said Daimon. Amaron met with the Rishans again and was lost as a consequence. Nothing was known for sure about his motives, although in all fairness, his demish assassins had believed he meant to reopen communications with Killing Reach. I know, insisted Deander, with the vehemence of the faithful. No doubt he thought he had communicated with Amaron's lost soul in a jump. If so, Daimon would teach the Demish Popinjay a lesson. A part of him would not believe the odds could be as bad as logic dictated, but he knew this was an impulse he could ill afford. Not at least until his heir was safely born. He had to tamp his relished temper down. The Amaric Treaty, Daimon said tightly, bans contact with Rishan's. It was meant to be temporary, de Ander countered. No, said Daimon. All right, de Ander said, flushed and excited by his failure to prevail with reason. He took hold of Renard from behind and gave him a shove, right into Diamond's arms. The unexpected contact shocked Daimon more than de Ander's drawn sword had. You want to give him to Prince Huse? de Ander challenged. Fine. Why not kill him yourself instead, right now? You're as much a signatory to the Americ Treaty as Hughes ever was. The Rishan gripped Diamond's forearms to steady himself. He looked up, surprised and faintly alarmed, but not distrustful. Diamond put Renard aside, firmly, wishing he had knocked back five or six glasses of Eva's wine before de Ander arrived. The penalty he paid for inaction was to lock up inside in disabling knots. I cannot be swayed by a name, he told Deander. not even Amarons. If he had reasons for revisiting the Rishan side, he did not share them. Your reasons are your own. Perhaps you believe trade with the Recians would make you independent of the Empire. Let's assume it's that, and not an interest in Ocalani weapons. Deander actually gasped at the last remark. You need a Relish court ally, Daimon continued his analysis. For the same reason, you needed Vrelish support to protect you on the plaza, and Vrelish endorsement of your decision to child-gift to Peridar. You cannot act entirely alone. That is what this is about, not about us sharing any bond through Amoron. De Ander had recovered by now. You think not? he asked, suddenly light-hearted again. "'He scooped Renard's travelling cloak off the floor "'and thrust the bundled cloak into the Rishan's chest "'until the bemused man raised his arms to take it back. "'I make a gift to you of my Rishan,' Deander announced, flattering Daimon once more "'with honorary equality of birth rank. "'Learn from him what threat they pose to the Empire "'and to your monitees monopolies as well, "'because I am your ally.' and I would not see your people harmed by exclusion from new treaties that would upset your trade in nerve cloth and your brokerage of laurel drugs from Louverthan. The Rishans still practice science then, Daimon said coldly, half afraid of this all along. Amaron believed they could be honorable, De Ander countered. "Achrel!" Daimon exclaimed in disgust and pinched the bridge of his nose where a fierce headache was building up. To be relish and not act in anger could be literally painful. I cannot understand what you were saying to each other, said the Rician. The unfairness of this struck Daimon hard. It was the Rician's life they debated, and whatever the sins of his kind, he might not be personally guilty of anything more than simply being adventurous. Explain it to him, Daimon snarled at Tessatat. She translated the gist of the argument. "'I will go with you,' the Rishan said to Daimon when she was done. He spoke out of an amazing calm, as if his consent really mattered to anyone. "'I will tell you anything you want to know. Openness is a tenant of Rishan culture.' There was noise beyond the den's front doors. Tessatat exclaimed, "'Hus!' Get the recian out of sight, and yourself too. Daimon snapped at Peridar, and was relieved to find she could obey an order without backtalk. And I'm going to stop there because the Husian party of Silver Demish are about to arrive, which is a good break in the middle of the chapter. The comment about old Demish quarrels being as lethal as the new Frelish ones is telling. The Demish are bioengineered in the direction of good memory and they are conservative by nature. They're also neo romantic, I suppose you might say, although underpinning all that is a lot of concern about bloodlines and property that uh, would resonate with anyone who is fond of Regency romance. The relish, on the other hand, are another kettle of fish, and we will be learning a lot more about them as time goes on. That's enough for that episode, and thanks for reality skimming with me. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on Reality Skimming.